afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to our show today. This is Mary Woods and I am very happy to introduce our guest, um, Dr. Javier Amador, which um, a lot of you know of and um, I'm very happy to talk today um, about I'm not sick, I don't need help, how to help someone with mental illness accept treatment, and Dr. Amador was also the creator of the LEAP Institute. And before we get into talking specifics, for those of you who don't know Dr. Amador, let me just um, give you a little bit of his background. Um, He is an internationally sought-after speaker. He's a clinical psychologist. He's a professor at Columbia University Teachers College in New York City. He's the founder and director of the LEAP Institute and author of eight books, including the national bestseller, I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help. Dr. Amador's expertise has made him a regular contributor to the Today Show and a featured guest on ABC Good Morning America, Primetime Live, CBS This Morning, NBC Nightly News, 60 Minutes, CNN, Dateline, ABC World News Tonight, Fox News, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and many others. Dr. Amador has been a consultant to numerous companies and government agencies, including the National Institute of Health. His forensic cases include uh, the case of the Unabomber, PFC Lindy England, the Elizabeth Smart kidnapping, and Zacharias Musawi trials. Dr. Amador has over 25 years' experience working with adults, families, and couples. He lives in New York. Previously, Dr. Amador was a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University, College of Physicians and Surgeons. He's been on the board of directors of the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. He's been director of research at the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill and director of psychology at the New York State Psychiatric Institute. In addition to his books, Dr. Amador has published over 100 peer-reviewed scientific papers, many other publications that have been translated into more than 20 languages. Dr. Amador was co-chair of the last text revision of the schizophrenia and then related disorders section of the DSM-4TR. So, Dr. Amador, thank you for taking time from this really busy schedule to uh, speak with us today. My my, my pleasure, Mary. Um, Can you just begin by telling us how you got involved with um, psychology? Because I know it was not your first career, was it? Well, my first career was uh, waiting on tables, <laughs> which I did for 10 years while being trained as a psychologist. But, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of things that led me to it. Actually, it, it was a book called On Becoming a Person by Carl Rogers, um, Client-Centered Therapy, which um, at the age of 14 I read this book. I happened to be given the book by a friend, a, mo- uh, the, a mother of a friend. Got very, very interested in psychology, and then... Years later, uh, about uh, uh, seven years later, my brother Henry, my older brother, developed schizophrenia. And, and so I kind of came to the, the field honestly on my own, but I do have to say I, I, my, brother, my, my relationship with my brother definitely kind of sealed the deal in terms of my interest. Um, there's so much to talk about. I guess could we start with the Leap Institute, and then we'll work with, and we'll go towards um, your your work around. I'm not sick, and I don't need help. Um, the Leap Institute. Could you explain to folks what Leap stands for and what exactly um, people experience there? Sure. Um, well, Leap is an acronym. It stands for Listen, Empathize, Agree, and Partner. 
Um, simple words, simple concepts, but actually what we're, we're doing is a combination of what's called motivational therapy and uh, cognitive therapy and client-centered therapy. It's, it's not a therapeutic intervention, though. It's a communication uh, strategy. It's a set of skills that we teach people um, to engage the person they're trying to help who doesn't understand that they have a mental illness, who doesn't understand that they have a problem. Uh, uh, engage them in treatment. Engage them first with you, but then also in treatment. Um, you know, I, you asked me to talk about it sort of independent of the book, I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, but Leap Institute grew out of that book. What happened was about, well, it wasn't about, it was precisely in 1999, uh, I was at a NAMI conference, um, National Alliance on, uh, on Mental Illness, and this couple came up to me. One of them uh, was a writer for The New Yorker, and they said that, you know, the, the talk I had given really gave them a lot of insight and a lot of hope about their son. And what I was talking about was this lack of insight that's so common uh, in, in persons with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and a range of other problems like eating disorders and, and, and uh, alcohol and drug abuse. And they said, you know, you really need to write something for, for us, for the, for the family members, for lay people. Um, the research is not... You know, filtering down to us. We just happened to come to your talk. Anyway, I met with them subsequently. They really pushed me, and um, that book was really a kind of a grassroots um, project. And since its publication in in 2000, it's really um, created a whole other life for me in, in many ways. Um, I mean, uh, hundreds of talks all over the world. Uh, I just came back from Spain and Turkey and Hungary in, a la- in the last three months giving trainings in, 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 the, in LEAP, uh, training mostly psychiatrists in, in this case. But the program and the institute um, uh, really grew out of that book. It grew out of family members first asking for help. Um, and, and I have to say what really, you know, really hit me hard, uh, uh, but in a way was reassuring, was how many families were dealing with what I was dealing with. Uh, my older brother, Henry, eight years older than me, uh, developed schizophrenia uh, back in 1982. And I became kind of de facto the, the frontline person in the family dealing with him because I had a psychology degree. And every time I tried to help him, it ended in arguments. You know, and, and the title of the book, I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, comes directly from my brother, <laughs> you know, who told me that over and over again. And, and, and I would get into these... Uh, well-meaning arguments trying to convince him that he was sick and that he, you know, he had to take medicine. And Henry, I'd seen it with my own eyes. Two weeks ago, you were paranoid. You were hearing voices. You've been in the hospital. You've just come out. You, you, you're, you're fine. I mean, you're, you're not scared anymore, right? You're, you're not hearing voices. And, and the whole time I'm having this conversation, I've got a bottle of his pills in my hand that I found in the garbage. And... That relationship um, really suffered. I mean, Henry and I were very close growing up. He was, in, in many ways, like a father to me. Uh, our father had died when I was very young, and, and Henry really watched out for me, and we'd always been close. But once he developed schizophrenia, and I think more importantly, once I developed the wrong approach, which is the common approach, which was to try to educate him, the doctors have given us information, you've got this illness, you need to be on medicine, once I did that, it, it destroyed our relationship. Um, so 
this book really grew out of both research that I did um, while at the Schizophrenia Research Center at Columbia uh, University from 1989 uh, up until 2002, and it also really grew out of my relationship with my brother. And what a gift it's been for so many people. Um, I, I think that the whole notion of insight um, is something that we kind of take for granted. Like if I educate you, then that automatically assumes that you're going to take responsibility for what is quote-unquote right. Right. And can you talk a little bit about kind of like the uh, neurobiology of insight, if you will? Um, sure. Why it, gets, why it gets impaired? Well, let me emphasize something. I think for a lot of people listening to us, this is the first time they've ever even heard of the notion that there's a neurobiology of insight. Um, you know, I had always been taught in my training that this was denial, that when somebody says, I'm not sick, and, you know, they, they come out of the hospital and they throw away their medicine, they, they don't go to their appointments, it's because they're in denial of their, of their, their, their mental illness. Um, that is not what we're seeing in people with, certainly with schizophrenia, schizoaffective and, and bipolar uh, disorders. Uh, the research is clear. Back in 1989, there was almost no research. In the last 20 years, there's been close to 300 studies in the, in, the, in the scientific literature. And what's abundantly clear is that when you see this very, very, very poor insight, or what most family members and doctors call denial, you're not seeing what you think you're seeing. What you're seeing actually is a symptom of the illness, just like a hallucination, just like a delusion, uh, just like a manic episode. So that's really been the biggest breakthrough. Um, uh, and, and that happened actually a long time ago. That was by the mid-1990s, the field uh, of, of psychiatry and psychology really was beginning to recognize that this is a symptom of the illness. It's a symptom of, of the brain disorder and uh, not the person being in denial or, or defensive or stubborn. And, and, and that's just such an important realization, at least for me. I'll go back to my personal story. When I realized my, my, my brother wasn't being immature or stubborn, when I realized that, that you know, his, his refusal to stay in treatment, his, what I thought was you know, his refusal to, quote, admit he was ill, when I realized that that was a symptom of the illness, it completely changed my attitude uh, about you know, what he was saying to me. It, it changed how I felt about him. I went from being angry and frustrated to more sympathetic and, and, and realizing that I, I couldn't tell him to, you know, sort of wake up, smell the coffee, you've got mental illness, which is kind of what I've been trying to do for years. Uh, that would be like saying to him, stop hallucinating. You know, we don't tell people to stop hallucinating, do we? No, yeah. not at all. That's because we understand. It's part of the brain disorder. So um, the, the symptom itself uh, of lack of insight in, in, in these mental illnesses is called anosognosia. It's a tongue twister, I'm sorry. Um, but anosognosia um, was coined by uh, the French neurologist Babinski, uh, very famous neurologist um, uh, from Paris, who uh, many people know about the Babinski reflex in infants when they're born. You scratch right. their foot, you know, and the, the yeah. toes curl. Uh, same neurologist, and he described this, this um, syndrome in neurological patients who, for example, would be paralyzed, and incredibly they, would, they wouldn't know that they were paralyzed. 
Um, and, you know, I've been working with neurological patients uh, during my training, and I saw this kind of unawareness, this kind of denial. Only neurology was understanding this as a symptom of frontal lobe dysfunction and, uh, and dysfunction in other parts of the brain. And uh, that's really when, when a light bulb went off, went off in my head, and I thought, you know, maybe that's what I'm seeing in, in my patients and in my brother. And, um, and uh, proposed this to the field in, in a paper back in 1991. And, and like I said, we went from about 10 studies on this problem to close to 300 in the last 20 years. And we know a lot. We now know a lot. And we'll be right back to talk with Dr. Amador more about this and other topics. If you have any questions, please give us a call. We'll be right back. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family sense of recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Queenie's Happy Hour is the place for fun every Monday night after work. Pull up a bar stool and let your favorite bartender mix up some life, laughter, and learning. Queenie, also known as Nancy Wagierski, is a certified facilitator of the Law of Attraction and is here to start your week with a smile and education about making the Law of Attraction work for you. Pour yourself an after-work martini and join us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for Queenie's Happy Hour on the Voice America Business Channel. Ready to lift your spirit? Join Karen Tatanich every week for Spirit Connections. Karen will share with you the power of energy work. It can get you through the good times and the tough times. Karen will bring together stories of hope and good news based on her work with all aspects of energy. There are people and companies out there that are bringing joy to our planet. You'll learn about the power of spirit at home, at work, and at play. Spirit Connections is broadcast live Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave Network. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Uh, welcome back, everyone. 
Uh, we're talking today with Dr. Amador, who is the author of I Am Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, and, and a great title, I'm Right, You're Wrong, Now What? Uh, how to Break the Impasse and Get What You Need in uh, Discussions. And prior to going to break, we were talking about um, lack of insight and how char- how we used typically characterize it as denial or um, just people being noncompliant or people being almost um, too willful, if you will, and how we've learned in the last 10 years that uh, this is really part of a frontal lobe dysfunction. It's not a personality disorder. It's not people being, um, you know, contrary. It's their their brain. There's something happening in their brain. And could you explain to our listeners, Dr. Amador, what's happening in the brain that causes this? Well, if, if I knew the precise uh, pathophysiology, I'd probably have the Nobel Prize. <laughs> so I, I'll explain what I know. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing this, and in fact we are, we're involved, Leap Institute is involved uh, with Dr. Uh, Mojib uh, Shed at the University of Texas in an imaging study, and other, there have been many imaging studies in the last 10 years. Now I'm talking about brain imaging. Um, people are finding different things, so I don't have a good, simple answer. But they're finding things like uh, hypofrontality, meaning the frontal lobes are just not as activated in the person who lacks insight when you compare that person to one who has insight into their mental illness. Uh, we also see a reduction in gray matter. These are the, the, the working cells of the brain, the neurons. So there's a number of different things that, that people are finding. And, um, uh, you know, the evidence has grown to the point that even in the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual, all psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurses use, it's, it's described as a symptom of the illness, this lack of insight. Uh, it's described as being like anisognosia in neurological disorders and uh, not a coping strategy. So, you know, that, and it's interesting, once you, you know, some people despair when they hear that and they, they think, oh, then, you know, Dr. Amador, I'll never be able to, educate my son about his illness. And, and my response to that when I do consultations and I work with families is, no, now we have the right enemy. Now we know who we're dealing with here um, or what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with stubbornness or denial uh, or somebody being contrary, as you said. We're dealing with a symptom of the illness. And that means we should take a different approach. You know, one that leads us uh, not into trying to bust through denial, but instead develop a trusting relationship with the person where we don't drive them away from us because we're insisting that they accept, you know, a reality that they, they can't accept. Or a label that they don't want either. Um, you know, the, it's interesting. We've studied stigma, Mary, and, and, and the label issue is important, but it really isn't the issue. Um, uh, let me give you a feel for, for what anisognosia for mental illness is like, this lack of illness, lack of insight. Um, uh, you're, you're interviewing me for this, this radio show. How, how long have you been doing this show? Uh, about two years. Two years. In fact, and, and, and uh, you, you, you do this uh, uh, show, um, uh, well, let, let me back up. You've been doing this for two years. I, I'm not... Because I'm calling in. I'm not sure if you're in a studio or if you're elsewhere. Um, no, I'm I'm in my office in New Hampshire. Okay. <laughs> and we're calling into Arizona, actually. Okay. So 
the, this is, this is a, I want to give you a feel. This is a role play I, I do when I do leap trainings for what this is like. And um, actually, let me let me try something a little bit different, real quickly. Are, are you married by any chance? No, you're not. Okay. I was. I, I, okay. Let's stick with with your hosting the show. Okay. Um, the, the the fact is, and and this is going to be a little disturbing for you, and, and perhaps confusing for your listeners, but I was asked to call into this program to help you. In fact, you, you don't host this show. You never have hosted one hour at a time. Okay, the show exists one hour at a time, but the host is not Mary Woods. Now, you've been calling in to the, somehow you found a number to the producer's office and the engineer's office, and you've been getting online with them. They decided to go ahead and take the show and air it because they wanted me to do an intervention with you. I can prove to you you've never done this show before. I can play you tapes of previous episodes, pre- previous airings of one hour at a time, and, and show you it's not even your voice. Now, the good news is I can get you help. I, I knew you were in New Hampshire, and I have good friends there who work at Dartmouth and other places, and we have a psychiatric bed available for you. Can I give you a phone number to call so that, that you go to the hospital and take some medicine? I don't need that. Why not? Um, because I'm not sick. But you I've been doing this for two years. Let me interrupt, and I don't mean to be too confrontational, but you know, I heard your introduction. It was a very long introduction uh, of me and, 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 and very kind. Um, as far as you're concerned, I'm, I'm, I'm this expert, right? Of course you are. Mental illness. I know a lot about it. I mean, that's what you're telling the listeners that are, that, that are hearing our voices, right? That's absolutely right. So why, why, why can't you take my word for it? Well, because that's not what I experience. Well, what my if I can, reality what is if I, What if I can prove it to you? I'm sorry for interrupting, but what if I can prove it to you? We'll get the engineer of this program on the line, and he will tell you, in fact, you are not the host of this show, and you never have been, and we're so glad Dr. Amador agreed to come in and do this live intervention so that you would get psychiatric help. Would you believe it then? Uh, no, okay, I know. Who do you trust most in the world? You don't have to give a name. Is it a friend, a relative? Um, a relative. Okay. Let's get that person on the phone. And that person says to you, Mary, we're so relieved and glad that Dr. Amador got involved in this and, and, and that there's a psychiatric bed available for you. Please go get help. You call okay. that person. Would you believe it then? Well, that's not my reality, though. I mean, you can call them, but that's not my reality. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. Well, th- th- this is a small taste of what it's like for for people who are just tuning in. <laughs> you know, this is, I, I, that was a role play, folks. <laughs> that's a role play. <laughs> Mary, in, in fact, is the host of uh, one hour at a time. But I'll I'm make, giving. I'll take you up on the bed, though. I could use a little rest right about now. Another <laughs> feeling. But 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 think about what that's like. And for people listening to us, I I, I hope they'll think about it. What if somebody told you you weren't married to the person you're married to and they gave you all this proof? Would, would it change your mind? It wouldn't. It just you know? makes you bewildered. I mean, bewildered and eventually paranoid. When I, when, I, yeah. when I do this in front of audiences, I, you know, I'll typically ask someone to volunteer who's married and then to somebody and, 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 and then I'll proceed to give them evidence that they're, they've never been married to this person. We can call them on the cell phone. This person will say, Go get help. I don't want to press charges because you've been stalking me. Uh, uh, I mean, we don't actually fool the person in reality, but we 
ask the question, would any evidence I give you convince you you're not married to this person? And in the role play you and I just, just did, would any evidence I could provide convince you that you've never hosted one hour at a time? No. Right. So that's what it's like. So when you realize that anosognosia for mental illness, lack of insight into schizophrenia, bipolar, schizoaffective illness, is just like what I tried to have you experience. I can't try to convince you that you don't host this show. If, if I believe it's a, de- a delusion and I want you to get help, right? Right. Right. I can't fight with you about that. I have to take a different tack. Right. And it, and it turns out there's a lot of good research on this. There is a different tact you can take that, that is not the uh, psychoeduca- psychoeducational approach, which is what I was trying with you in our role play. I was mm-hmm. trying to give you the evidence that you were mentally ill. It's, it's really, um, I, to be on the other side of that, I mean, to, in the role play, to be on the other side of that, it's, it's just disconcerting because, you know, you, I'm sitting here thinking, like, you're crazy. I, I, know what, I know what my reality is, you right. know, and it's bewildering, bewildering, and I just can't, I just can't imagine what that's like. Well, and imagine if I, I showed you... Uh, we have a team of people sitting there telling you that, that you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and imagine if I, if I showed you restraining orders from judges uh, from, from Voice America complaining about you. You know, you'd look at that and you'd, you'd wonder, what in the world is going on? Yeah. Uh, so when people can understand that if you're trying to help somebody with mental illness who says, I'm not sick that the experience is exactly like that. And we've interviewed now thousands of people for, for our research. Um, and the belief is held with that level of conviction. The belief that nothing is wrong with me is held with the same level of conviction as the belief is that you have that for two years you've hosted this program. I'm not going to change that belief with any kind of evidence. And, you know, what's... Um, People didn't hear our conversation during our uh, break, but um, I asked you whether this is true in substance use disorders, and you said they're just starting to research it. But motivational interviewing, which was really developed um, with addictive disorders, that's exactly what you you're trying to do. Is you're just you're not trying to convince somebody they have an an addictive disorder. You're just you're trying to kind of get their perception of what is going on with them, and you build from there. That's exactly right. I mean, that's the irony, is that and it's translational research. You know, we, we learn that, that this is a symptom of the brain disorder because of our observations of neurological patients. And now we've learned how to help because of our observations of what's been done with, with people who have substance abuse disorders. You know, there's that program on TV, Intervention. Mm-hmm. It's actually one of the worst... Uh, 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 not one of the worst things you could do, but one of the uh, lowest uh, uh, positive results come from from confronting people with substance abuse disorders. That's, that's a common myth. Yeah, but it makes for good television. It makes great television, but you if know. you stay and watch the credits, you'll see often almost every time the person's relapsed. Right. And, and I'm not saying don't try interventions, but if they don't work, try what's been researched for 20 years now, motivational interviewing, which is... And let me rephrase it. You gave a good description. But the way I describe it is find out what motivates this person. What does this person want that you're trying to help? 
And we'll be right back to talk with Dr. Amador about um, this and other topics after this next commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center of Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams with co-host Jacob Greer. Each week, join Lemont and Jacob as they take callers, discuss the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sit down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Um, today our guest is Dr. Javier Amador, who has written, I am not sick, I don't need help, and I am right, you're wrong, now what? Um, which are two wonderful books. Um, I'm right, you're wrong, now what? I think you can use, whether you're um, a behavioral health person or you're just a regular person who wants to learn how to be more effective in their communication. Um, I, the, I love the beginning of the book because I always highlight my books and my staff always go behind me, and they always complain because it's all highlighted. But you actually encouraged me to highlight your book. So I, I do. I, I was uh, thrilled, and I showed it to everybody. So uh, I have permission. 
Um, I think that um, when you're talking in your book about the LEAP process, um, that the importance of practicing it, that you just don't get it right away. And um, I had written, I had read your book and got into a heated discussion with somebody on Saturday. And after I after I was in this, like, really heated discussion, afterward I thought, well, then it all came back to me what I read. But in the moment, I couldn't remember any of that. Right. You know, I was feeling the tact. I was feeling, I get, you know, my uh, my emotional brain took over and my cognitive brain was way somewhere else. And um, so how, how do you practice something when you when you get engaged that fast and, and feeling defensive and feeling attacked. And it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's like anything. Um, I played Little League baseball, and I used to be a lousy, lousy uh, infielder. I couldn't throw the ball. And I, my, I'll never forget my coach saying, you know, Javier, you just got to practice, practice, practice. You know, practice at home. You know, practice with your dad. Practice with your brothers. And I got better. Um, so that's the simple answer, and it's, it's, I'm sorry, it's not, it may not be a satisfying one, but you know, you're practicing right now. You realize that you got into this interaction, you got um, uh, too upset to remember to use LEAP. Um, so one of the things um, really that, that, that we teach is to uh, really try and consciously take the temperature of the interaction. If when you're talking to somebody you see them get defensive after you've said something, stop. Stop pursuing that line of argument. And when people get into the I'm right, you're wrong, or, you know, a situation, it's another variation of the I'm, I'm not sick, yes, you are argument, um, it's, it's fruitless to continue. And if you really step back and think about it afterwards, it, it's obvious. I don't, I don't need to provide uh, a research study. Um, so it's really about taking the temperature of the argument. When you do that, You'll remember to use the tools that uh, that we teach, um, and, uh, and, and and you know if if it might be a good time to actually talk about some of those tools. Um, and I call them tools because again, uh, when when we started this work, it was first designed as a therapy. Uh, in fact, the first uh, uh, really uh, version, you know, kind of leap version one. Uh, it had a different name. Uh, it was a psychotherapeutic intervention designed by Aaron Beck and myself. Um, a lot of people know Dr. Beck as, a, as the father of cognitive psychology. who was a, a very a keen interest in using psychotherapy uh, with persons with mental illness, uh, with um, schizophrenia and, and bipolar disorder. And what I found very quickly is that anybody could learn to use the interventions. And that's why I developed LEAP independently. It's, it's, it's a set of tools. And the first tool is that listen tool, which is not any kind of listening. It's reflective listening. And I am not the first person to talk about the, the uh, transformative power of reflective listening. I mean, many psychologists, many philosophers uh, have talked about this. Uh, uh, Dale Carnegie in, in the book, uh, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you know, quotes Jesus Christ even, do unto others as you have them do unto you. <laughs> What's the principle? Listen to the person and convey your understanding. It's reflective listening. Everybody wants to be listened to. And we get into these I'm right, you're wrong uh, uh, arguments because, because the, most people, because they've stopped listening and instead they're pushing their agenda. 
you know, it's it's so um, it's so right on. When we first started Westbridge in 2001, we had a young man come um, work with us in 2002 who was who hadn't been on medications. He was floridly psychotic, um, was speaking in metaphors, um, very angry and paranoid, and reflective listening. I had just gotten through this whole like four or five years of being immersed in motivational interviewing in the addiction world, and I just started doing reflective listening because I didn't know what else to say. Sure. <laughs> you know, it was like I just. You know, I, I I wasn't getting all the metaphors. I wasn't I wasn't understanding his language well enough, and um, we built a bond on that. And um, and it's it was just it was transformative to just how simple it is to just listen reflectively, and um, it's so simple. But, yeah. but yet, but, but, it's, but you know, it's we don't skill. do it. So. We're afraid to do it, and the and the reason for that, uh, in, in my experience and with workshop. Participants, you know, what we've learned is that people are afraid if, for example, they listen to somebody say, I'm not sick, the medicine's poison, and they reflect that back. So let me see if I understand you. Here's an example of reflective listening. Let me see if I understand you. Mary, your problem is you're not sick and you don't need the medicine, right? You're not delusional. I understand you correctly. Yes. That's reflective listening. If you're taking the temperature of an interaction with somebody and you use reflective listening, you see the person calm down very quickly. Yes, you do. We, we teach LEAP to police officers for crisis intervention, actually, and even hostage negotiators have come to our trainings because reflective listening is a common tool used in those fields as well to calm people down, to de-escalate. Um, but we're afraid to do it because we think, well, now I'm buying into the delusion. Now I'm buying into the belief there's nothing wrong. But you're really not. What you're doing is showing the person respect for their point of view. So when I say to somebody who's just, who's just complained about the CIA conspiracy against them, when I say to them, so hold on, let me see if I understand you, you don't, you don't, you don't want help with psychiatric you know, medications. What you want me to help you with is proving the CIA has been following you for the last 10 years. Is, is that, did I understand you correctly? That's correct. And the person says, yeah, that's correct. Uh-huh. And then I empathize, that's the Ian leap. Strategically, boy, it must be so frustrating. Has it been frustrating? Has it made you angry that people don't believe you? Yes, it makes me very angry. Now, why why don't we do that reflective listening? And and uh, people are more comfortable with empathy. Actually, the reason is we think we're going to make it worse, and also we're afraid the person's going to ask us two things: to help them. Well, would you you know help? Help me hire a lawyer to sue the CIA. <laughs> I mean, I've been asked all sorts of things like that uh, when I use LEAP. Or they'll ask us, so do you believe me? And that's why we don't use reflective listening, even though it's very powerful at not only reducing somebody's you know, anger and, and paranoia, but it's also very powerful at increasing trust and building a relationship. Um, so you need some tools to get out of that situation. When somebody asks you, so, so Javier, Dr. Amador, do you believe me then? I shouldn't take medicine? What do I do? And, and what we teach people is you do a couple of things. You delay, in a very, delay answering as long as possible because you don't want to hurt this new friendship, this new alliance you're building. And also, you want the person to ask for your opinion more than once. You want to be humble. So we honor the question. I promise I'll answer your question about whether, this, whether the CIA is really after you. 
whether you need medicine. But you know what? Um, we were just talking about the fact that you're homeless and you, you need a place to stay. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Would that be okay with you? So there's three elements to delaying. You, honor the, you promise to answer the question. I promise I'll answer your question. about You want to know what I think? I'll tell you. But then you try to derail the person from that because it's going to hurt when they hear it, when they hear that I do think the person needs medicine. And I ask permission. I give them control. Would it be okay with you if I answer later? And nine times out of ten, the person says, you can tell me later. And you want the person to ask you your opinion more than once because when, when they finally get it, they'll realize a couple of things. You're not trying to shove it down their throat, your opinion that you know they have mental illness or that they need medicine, and that you really genuinely respect the fact that they really are in the driver's seat. You know, one of the ways I delay is I'll say uh, if a patient, I, I was working with a patient who was um, somebody with schizophrenia, about to be discharged from the hospital, and he asked me if I thought he should take the medicine. And I said, you know, I, I didn't want to give my opinion right away. I wanted to be asked a couple of times. Um, I said, you know, I, I, I promise I'll answer your question, but I'd like to hear more about why you don't want to take it because I think your view is a lot more important than mine. Would that be okay with you? I asked permission. And he said, but you're the doctor. How can my opinion be more important? And I said, I'm not, I'm not your doctor. I mean, the whole time you've been in the hospital, you've told us you're not sick, right? Well, yeah. Look, you're in the driver's seat, and I respect the fact that when, when we discharge you today, you're, I think you're very likely going to throw this prescription away because you have in the past, right? No, 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 I'm going to take it. And then I reassured this guy. I said, look, you're going home today. We have to discharge you. You're, you're doing well. But I think, if, I even said, if I were you, I would throw the, the prescription away. And he was incredulous. But, see, I was taking his perspective, and I was being very honest. I said, look, you don't believe you're ill. Why would you take the medicine? And he very sheepishly said, you're right, I won't. I said, well, I respect that. You know, I convinced them to come and meet with me in the outpatient clinic the following Tuesday. And we developed a relationship that went beyond the hospitalization and ended in his eventually accepting treatment. And would that be a paradoxical intervention? Yeah, that's another word for it. <laughs> it and we'll like... be right back. <laughs> A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you lack energy and enthusiasm? Do you really want to change your thoughts and feelings? Can you really stay sane when your life isn't? Of course you can, just by listening to Stay Sane Now each week with Claudine Strzok and co-host Wesley Stoller. You'll have fun and learn how to make each new day the best day of your life. Every show is designed to energize and get you started off on the next week. Stay Sane Now is broadcast live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave Network. Thank you. 
two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams with co-host Jacob Greer. Each week, join Lemont and Jacob as they take callers, discuss the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sit down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is our final segment with Dr. Amador. If you have any questions, now is the time to call. Um, one of the things that I think that a lot of people experience right now because of budget cuts, because of the constraints of, um, you know, just the world that we live in, that um, service providers or clinicians, we tend to be very task-oriented. People need to take their meds. They need to get a meal. They need to sign their papers for Medicaid. And we don't always value or take the time to build that relationship because when we were talking earlier about um, poor insight, there's no pill that, that creates better insight. And, um, not yet. Really, yeah, no, not yet. But it's really about that relationship. And um, can you speak a little bit more about that? Because I, I think there's more to say. I, I would love to. And, and, and let me put it in some context. Um, People, if they don't know the research, um, I think will will probably not be shocked by by the following statistics. This is from a re- big review article by uh, doctors uh, Samuel Keith and, and John Kane. Uh, what they found is that within one week, 25% of people, when they start antipsychotic medication, go off of it. Within two years, you have 75% not taking the medicine reliably. 50% not taking at all, 75% taking only a small portion. 
So they're essentially not in treatment. Think about that. One out of four people you're working with, if you're a mental health professional, will not be taking their medicine a year out. Um, so it's really important, if you're going to be task-oriented, to be also realistic. If you can, you know, coerce somebody into taking medicine, um, you know, it, 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 it's a Band-Aid oftentimes. What you really want is through your relationship, help them discover their own reasons to take medicine that have nothing to do with being mentally ill. And that's the strange thing that, that, that it's a hard thing for people to understand. But, you know, we've worked with many, and I've seen families and, and, and professionals successfully convince persons with mental illness to accept treatment, stay on it for years, not because they're mentally ill, but because, you know why? You know, Mary thinks I should take it, and, and you know, I trust her. Or, you know why I take it? It's, it helps me sleep. Or it helps me with the conspiracy against me. It helps me relax. I can concentrate better at school. I can yeah. concentrate better at work. Yeah. And so what I'm really saying, though, is, is that I don't want to lose sight of the main theme here. You don't win the, 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 the battle. And the battle is to get the person engaged with you and in treatment consistently. Because remember, the non-adherence rates are 75%. You don't win on the strength of your argument. You win on the strength of your relationship. That's right. So that's why, you know, Motivational Interviewing and LEAP focuses first and foremost on respecting the person's point of view through reflective listening, empathizing. Uh, The A in LEAP stands for agree. What do we agree on? We're not going to talk about your being mentally ill because we don't agree on that. Let's put that aside. We agree you want a job. We agree you want you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We agree that uh, you'd like to not be picked up and put in the hospital. Let's work on those things together. You know, I'd love to. And that's what you partner on. That's the P and LEAP. You partner on the shared goals that the person you're trying to help has and that you can share it, share with them. I mean, I, I'm not going to help you uh, write letters to the president about uh, the FBI uh, investigation and CIA conspiracy. I can't help you with that because we disagree about that. Let's just agree to disagree about that. But I can help you with the housing problem you have or the fact that you want a job. Let's 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 meet and talk about ways that that you know you can. And then you start to link those things that the person wants that they've articulated to treatment. Uh, there was a guy I worked with, for example, who really wanted a girlfriend, and he hallucinated. He he thought the hallucinations were coming from God, and he would talk to them. And I got him co- talking about the fact that um, when he would meet girls, he was a very nice guy, very smart guy, handsome, 25 years old. Um, girls liked him, uh, but then they'd get scared of him. And I finally got him to really look at that and pay attention to when they were getting uncomfortable. And it's when he would mumble and talk to the, to the hallucinations. And I said, well, that's a problem. Can you Let's work on your not talking back to the voices. He has no insight, by the way, that he has mental illness, but he's meeting with me because I, I don't challenge him, I respect him, I listen reflectively. Eventually, I said, why don't you try this medicine, not because you're mentally ill, why don't you try it, because I, I, I know it's helped other people I've worked with not talk back to their voices. And that's how he found, and we together found, a reason for him to take medicine and to stay on it, because it did help him. He did start dating more successfully, and that's what he wanted. And, and 
you know, and I think that um, the point once again is, is it's not about whether you have a mental illness or you don't have a mental illness. Is that somebody has a goal, and um, and you use that as a way to, to engage them into treatment. Um, when we first opened, we we worked with a, a young man who was psychotic who had trust issues. He, we couldn't use the word schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would just become enraged, and um, and so he said, "I have trust issues." And so we said, "Okay, well, let's talk about your trust issues." And for a year and a half, that's how we that's how we discussed whatever was going on with him. And um, I mean, today we can talk about the word schizophrenia. He talks about schizophrenia, but I mean, that was a long process, and you have to have patience. You do, and, and, and respect for the person's experience. See, what you, what you described is a beautiful example of listening to somebody, reflecting back, okay, so you don't want us to use the word schizophrenia with you, and, and you respected it. Uh, I, I, I teach people to, um, I have parents, for example, I'm working with right now who hadn't talked to their daughter in five years, I think it was, and I coached them on writing a letter, apologizing for telling her she was mentally ill, promising that if she would get back in touch with them, they'll never tell her she's mentally ill again. Now, some people may take issue with that, but the history is they tried to convince her she was mentally ill for years, and it drove her away from them. So she already knows their opinion, you know, and she wrote back. They're in contact. They've actually gotten together about ten times now. Now they have an opportunity to engage with her and hopefully, you know, at the very least ensure that she's safe, that she's got a roof over her head, she's eating, which wasn't always happening during the absence. And they have a chance to get her into into treatment, not by convincing her she's ill, but by finding, you know, those things that she wants that they can link to, you know, maybe talking with a therapist, maybe talking with, you know, a coach. Sometimes I'll call psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers coaches. Um, but it is about respecting, like you did with your client, the person's uh, wishes and, and point of view to the extent that we can. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a major focus of, of motivational interviewing and of sleep. And, uh, you know, the medical model is wonderful. And educating someone about their mental illness when they have some insight is very, very effective. Dr. Amador, in our last minute, can you share with people how they can get a hold of you? Sure. You can, you can easily contact me if you go to our website. It's leapinstitute.org. One word, L-E-A-P, leapinstitute.org. And uh, on there, actually, there's a, uh, there's a video you can watch for free for about two and a half hours. It's a... Uh, a training I gave up in Halifax a few years ago. We're going to update with more videos. There's uh, columns and excerpts from the book, uh, bo- uh, both books, actually, that you can read. Thank you so much. Thank you for the work you've done. Um, you've certainly helped a lot of families, and you've helped um, us at Westbridge be much better clinicians. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for the compliment, and, and thanks for the work you're doing. Thank you, and have a good week, everybody. Um, and we'll see you next week.
appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.